Well, at least he gets 24 hours notice. That's more than most of us get. All most of us get is mind that bus, what bus, splat. Welcome to Welcome to Storybrook. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we have a difference of opinion on this episode. Well, I mean, it's not that big a difference. I actually, I enjoyed this episode a fair amount. It was, uh, it's sort of digging a little bit into what I feel like this season has been doing, which is drawing on the past a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of season one callbacks in this episode. Now, to be clear, I didn't dislike this episode. I just thought it was okay. You know what it reminded me of? What? It reminded me of, in season one, how we got sort of, uh, it was sort of more an episodic show. Like, there was the overarching plot, but we did have more of these sort of one-off adventures. Yes, I was really glad for that, to be honest. And, you know, we had that last week with The Count of Monte Cristo. It's almost like this whole season, not just this episode, is going back to its roots in a in a good way. And honestly, the parts of this episode that I liked the most were, for the most part, the Cinderella parts, the Monster of the Week parts. Because guess who's back this week? Cinderella. But also Nurse Ratched, so that... Our, our thing about how Nurse Ratched is in way more of this show than Cinderella, still, our point still remains valid. Although I think Cinderella, this, I think this episode may have given Cinderella more speaking lines than Nurse Ratched has. Oh, it definitely did. But if you just go on numbers of episodes that they've appeared in, they, Nurse Ratched is keeping pace. I mean, honest to God, it might even be screen time Nurse Ratchet keeping pace. I think that might be true. The part of this episode that I thought was weak is that there are all of these other storylines that are kind of converging, but not in a cohesive, thematic way, the way they were good at doing in season one. Yeah, there's really no reason for Emma not to tell anyone about her visions of her own death. Also... There's no story reason for us to be seeing the part with David that we see. Or the part with Belle and Rumpelstiltskin. There are all of these orphan storylines out that they're not pulling together as well as they did in season one. It's not so much B and C plots as D and F plots. I honest to God forgot the Rumpel and Belle subplots in there. It's in there for like a minute, maybe. Exactly. We should talk about what we're actually talking about, which is episode three of season six. The Other Shoe. Or book nine, The Clone Saga. Homestretch, people. Homestretch. So let's get into it. As you said, we're going back to season one. So the recap is actually going to show us scenes from season one, specifically to remind us about how Emma rescued Ashley. Cinderella. And to remind you, back in season one, we found out that Rumpelstiltskin killed the fairy godmother and stole her wand, and he was the one who granted Cinderella's wish, and in exchange, she had to give up her firstborn child. And in the real-world version of that story, Ashley agreed to sell her baby to Mr. Gold... Yeah, but luckily Emma showed up and was like, that's not an enforceable contract. Mm. Or something to that effect. After breaking into Mr. Gold's shop. Yeah. Emma did a lot more breaking and entering in season one. You know, they actually kind of touch on that here, so we'll talk about that. Mm. 
It's also reminding us that at the end of the last episode, David got this coin that he had given to his father right before his father died. In a cart accident. (laughs) Exactly. So now he knows that there might be a little bit more to his father's death than he thought originally. Oh, also, they remind us that the evil queen and Regina are now two separate people and the evil queen has her own agenda. So the episode starts off with Regina, Snow, and David heading down to see Mr. Hyde, who is being held in the asylum that's beneath the hospital. Regina wants to make a deal with him. In exchange for information about the evil queen, she's going to give him a lasagna. Snow says that maybe Regina should let her fight the evil queen since she's really good at fighting the evil queen. And Regina tells her this isn't your mama's evil queen. It's odd how they play this. They play this like Regina's got something big and important to give to Mr. Hyde in exchange for information, but then it turns out it's a lasagna. And honestly, it's not a really tasty looking lasagna either. Like when she takes the cover off of it and we see it, it's, I mean, it looks like a sloppily made homemade lasagna. And it's very clearly not fresh because she's holding the pan with her bare hands. I guess she's probably fireproof. No, but you're right. It's not warm. Yeah. Yeah. Mmm, cold lasagna. But it has pepper flakes in it. Yes. Season two reference. Her her lasagna did not win her any friends in season two, but people ate it a lot, so. Right. The show is aware of how not appetizing this lasagna is. When the crew opens the door to Hyde's cell, they see that his cell is actually very nicely decorated, and he is eating a tasty-looking dinner with an actual protein and starches and vegetables. Yeah, he's eating a steak. Because the evil queen was already here, and as he put it, she's much better at this sort of thing than Regina is. Yep. Same idea, better execution. I love this actor so much. Slight spoiler alert, Mr. Hyde really isn't in this season for very long, but he's so fun. Every one of his facial expressions is gold. He's like a living cartoon, but in a good way, not in a, like, French Stewart way. So he tells Regina that he feels for her because he knows how hard it is to to battle yourself, what with you both knowing each other's moves. And then we go to credits. Okay, what I, I do like in the credits, uh, they're actually playing with the format a little bit. They have a mouse running in the Once Upon a Time O, like it was a wheel. Yeah, like it's a hamster wheel. Uh, the mouse has a shirt on. It is Gus Gus. Oh. Yeah, poor Gus. I miss Gus. Yeah, we get to see him even in this episode. The episode proper opens with Henry walking into Granny's, which they gave up on giving the background people interesting costumes almost immediately, didn't they? I mean, that one extra has a hat. Yeah, that one woman's wearing a hat and a red shirt. And there's a guy in a graduation gown. And a cowboy. It's the land of untold stories, Max. So this guy's just been going around in his motorboard and robe, just... Yup. Yup. Also, why aren't we getting the story of the cowboy and his friend, the guy in a motorboard, and... uh... Speaking of untold stories, Ashley shows up. You know, I was actually looking up what else she has been in, because I realized this time through watching it, what her face looks like. Uh, She looks like What's-Her-Face from the Pitch Perfect movies. Yes. She kind of does, but I was thinking more 
she looks like she should be in a Hallmark Christmas movie. Mm, I could see that. She looks like the lead in a Hallmark Christmas movie who, like, learns how to love Christmas and life and a specific man who leads a boring country life so that she will give up her city life for him. A man who she who she definitely, I don't want to say cheats, but we watched a bunch of these movies last year and there's a... There's a oddly running thing of these women who have, you know, the big city lives. They go to a small town where they discover that their fiancé hates Christmas and then dump him. Yeah. Yeah, that happens in every Hallmark Christmas movie. But the thing is, with a lot of these dudes, it's like, you're kind of cheating. But it's not cheating exactly. I mean, it's not cheating if the relationship is winding down. But it's never winding down. She's always engaged to him. It's always a fiancé thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. Oh, man. Remember, what was the one we watched where she was supposed to be like Paris Hilton? The Christmas Inheritance. The Christmas Inheritance, where they tried to make her like Paris Hilton, except they couldn't have her do any scandals because it's a Hallmark movie. So instead, she was kind of clumsy at a dinner party. Yeah, she wasn't even drinking or high, and not even, like, coded drinking or high. She was literally just enthusiastic and clumsy. And her dad was like, you need to learn about responsibility, so I'm gonna make you go to this small town. Yeah, he's like, you're too much of a party girl, because she was at a party. For charity, trying to raise money. That movie makes me really angry when I think about it, to be honest, because everybody just treated her like shit, and she was really a genuinely good person doing her best yeah and everyone's always talking about how oh you think you're too fancy for us you think you're and it's like no she came to the small town and you all were terrible to her for two hours and then she decides to stay for no reason right oh you know somebody was asking on facebook for recommendations for christmas movies that they could stream immediately So I went to Netflix just to confirm that the 12 Dates of Christmas was still streaming because I think that was a legitimately good Christmas movie of the ones we watched last year when we did our- The Groundhog Day one, right? Yes. Because you didn't want to set the uh, love interest on fire in that one? Yes. And you know what? It's not streaming anymore. I feel like it was removed from streaming because it was too good. Well, in uh, The Christmas Inheritance, which- I, I hated the love interest in that so much. Oh my god, me too. Oh, it's okay that he's constantly cruel to this woman for no reason because he had an ex-girlfriend who left him to go live in a city? Listen, do not, do not be with a guy who uses things his ex did as excuses to be a shitty human. That is such a red flag. I'm really excited to watch the Christmas calendar, though. Which one's that? Um, it's with a magical advent calendar. Uh, are we actually going to watch Holiday in Handcuffs this year? Um, we watched it a couple years ago. Do you want to watch it again? I'd be up for it, I mean. Okay. I mean, talk about terrible people. Okay, so Holiday in Handcuffs is the story of Melissa Joan Hart, who has a super fancy boyfriend. She's really excited to show off to her folks for Christmas, except he dumps her so she does the logical thing and kidnaps the first guy she sees. So her parents don't think that she's alone. So she kidnaps um, Mario Lopez? Yep. Mario Lopez. Slater from Saved by the Bell. Takes him to her parents' house at gunpoint. And he he's, the whole time he's like, She's got me, like, uh, she's holding me hostage. I don't know this woman. And her family just thinks he's joking. 
They're like, oh, yes, heterosexual relationships are basically a prison. The whole movie is just everyone thinks he's being sarcastic when he's like, no, literally, I'm afraid this woman is going to kill me. <laughs> Holiday in Handcuffs is Are the Straits Okay? the movie. Because they end up together at the end. Oh, my he, God. He falls for her. Whenever people are like, Beauty and the Beast is about Stockholm Syndrome, I'm like, no, Holiday in Handcuffs is about Stockholm Syndrome. Thank you for bringing it back to Beauty and the Beast so that we can talk about this show, because otherwise I feel like we could have gone off about Christmas movies for an hour. Here's a podcast for you. We should do that. Well, I am doing a blog, but it's not about Christmas movies. It's about... Christmas episodes. Yeah, the first entry is going to go up Monday morning, so you'll be hearing this Sunday night and, or probably Monday morning, and you'll be able to read the first entry. So, Henry gets distracted by a pilgrim lady coming in. Ashley's at the table because she's apparently been running a daycare in town the whole time, and she wants to see if any of the new arrivals have babies that she can look after. Well, she says that, but we know from this episode that that is a lie. Hmm. Ashley is straight up lying. So she basically throws her baby. Remember that baby she gave birth to like three times? Yes. The show doesn't address this, but due to the way the curse kept moving time back and forth, and the fact that Ashley was literally a day away from giving birth when she was brought over in the curse, she had to give birth several times. Yeah, because she was pregnant before Snow and Charming got pregnant she should be so mad at regina you think right she was nine months pregnant for 28 years (laughs) holy shit what did regina have against cinderella yeah she had it way worse like she she was a pregnant maid who was gonna sell her baby for 28 years i mean i know we've talked about this before when it's come up but god damn As she's flipping through the book, Ashley talks about people getting happy endings and says, hey, if she could have a happy ending, anyone could. She being Cinderella, because Cinderella infamously doesn't have a happy ending. So she gives Hook the toddler at this point. Yeah, she's like two, I think. Yeah. So Hook can distract her while she flips through Henry's book of new arrivals, allegedly to look for babies. But really... She gives Hook her baby so that Emma on the other side of Granny's can look over and feel a pang in her womb when she sees Hook interacting with this child. Although, I have to say, the expression on her face is, oh my god, he's so great with children, I want to have a child, but I can't because I know that I'm going to die relatively soon because of my visions, and therefore I don't want to start a life with a person when I know that I'm not going to actually have a life with a person, but... That baby actor is so disinterested in everything. This is the most bored I've seen a baby look in forever. And the thing is, she's actively not engaging with Hook. Like, Hook's putting whipped cream on his nose and, like, waggling his eyebrows and stuff. And the baby's looking in the other direction. That baby does not want to be here. (laughs) Although, at least the baby doesn't look like it's having a bad time. It just looks like it's, I don't know, waiting for a bus or something and there's somebody yelling next to it. Yeah, pretty much. It's the same expression you get when there's a person screaming about the government at a bus stop. Yeah, that like, I'm just going to focus on my podcast and not engage with these other people. I am studiously not engaging. I am actively detaching myself from this situation. Oh, like I was yesterday on the bus when I saw a drug deal go down in the seat next to me on a bus. And I was like, I am not seeing anything. I am focusing on my audiobook. 
You were so thrown off by that. I am really thrown off by that because I'm not the most observant person in the world. How has this person not been caught when I noticed them dealing drugs right next to me? Maybe they just assumed that you were cool. No one has ever assumed that I am cool. Maybe they assumed that you wouldn't want to go to the police with this. Yeah, that was true. That was a good assumption. You have your... I did out them on a podcast, though. Yes. I was about to say, you, you didn't tell that many people, but you told everyone who listens to the podcast. So. so we cut back to the flashback where Cinderella is Cinderella-ing with one of those crappy brooms that can't actually pick stuff up. Yeah, but that's what all brooms used to be. Hmm. It must have been so much harder to... Yeah, I don't even understand how that worked. Also, she's sweeping the front walk, and since it's fake medieval times the front walk is a dirt path so i don't even know she's she's sweeping a thing that can't be swept with a thing that can't sweep so i want to see that dirt shine exactly right and lady tremaine shows up to yell at her you know your typical cinderella stuff cinderella's like look i don't exactly see your daughter's helping so either you're satisfied with my job or shut the fuck up yeah that is what she says so a uh, footman of the princess rides up in his Okay, so everyone's, like, kind of renaissance here. Like, this is slightly more advanced than the rest of the kingdom, I guess. That's or, true. Or I guess this is technically a separate kingdom. Well, it's a separate kingdom, but it's the same dimension. It's still the Enchanted Forest. Yeah. We know that it's, I guess, on the border of Snow's country. Because Snow is going to be at the ball. Because Snow's going to be at the ball, and as we saw with Cinderella's plotline in Season 1... The two kingdoms are on friendly terms, so I'm guessing it probably wasn't on good terms with James's country. Sure. Well, Snow White is based on a Germanic fairy tale, and Cinderella is based on a French fairy tale. So maybe the differences in apparent time periods are just because one is fake German past and one is fake French past. I'm just saying, they have actual houses in wherever the hell Cinderella is currently. It's true, they are living in a, I don't know, I want to say Victorian-looking mansion, whereas Snow's people live in huts. Yeah, in Snow's country, it's basically you live in huts or you live in castles. There's not really an in-between. Right. The footman drops off an invitation to the ball, and the wicked stepmother slash stepsisters are momentarily outraged that it was a footman who delivered it instead of a butler. Although, really, it should have been a valet who delivered it. Yeah, I was I was about to say, like, I mean, it's kind of negligible at this point, and the prince would not be sending out his butler to hand deliver. That's not what butlers are for. Right? Also, Lady Tremaine sees the invitation and gets so excited, she says, Oh, all of my years of work are finally paying off. Bitch, no! He invited every woman in the kingdom! Are you unfamiliar with the story? I'm, I'm too distracted by the fact that one of the stepsisters is apparently wearing an armchair from a retirement community. Um, Actually, I guess kind they of both. They both are. <laughs> <laughs> yes, both of their dresses appear to be made out of upholstery fabric. But one of the sisters approaches the footman and tells him that he's unworthy to be delivering mail to their house. He is a filthy, filthy boy. And she's going to punish him if she sees him coming around these parts again. Yep, that is what she says. Or words to that effect. Mm. Well, she does call him filthy. She does actually call him filthy. Let's put a pin in that. So Lady Tremaine's like, okay, now the goal is get pregnant by a duke or higher at this party. 
basically. <laughs> we get the implication that this is not a family that's doing well. Lady Tremaine takes them to the mansion's attic where she's looking for clothes and she's like okay look we're gonna have to sell some porcelain in order to buy you guys some fancy clothes so you can get the prince well i think the implication is usually in the cinderella story that cinderella's family after the death of her father is cash poor Hmm. they're land rich cash poor people i mean that was a part of ella enchanted yes exactly better parts which is one of the versions that has a living version of her dad but kind of acknowledges that if her dad is alive, then he's a huge douche. I really love Ella Enchanted. The book. The movie's fine. The movie, Yeah, the movie's fine for an early 2000s fantasy comedy. It is a by-the-numbers early 2000s fantasy comedy movie. It's better if you pretend it's not related to the far superior book. Because the book is really, really well written. Everyone should read Ella Enchanted. Yes. So Cinderella says she wants to go to the ball too. You all know this story. And she will wear her mother's dress, which is this pink ticky-tacky number that I know is supposed to look like the dress that the birds and mice make for her in the movie, but God, it's ugly. It really is. Lady Tremaine tosses it to Drusilla. I, I don't Chlamydia. remember. Chlamydia. Chlamydia. Tosses it to Chlamydia, who throws it into a nearby furnace. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just... I love the fact that there's just this furnace in their attic for no reason. Why it's would not you... for no reason. It's so that you can burn dresses. Why would you have a furnace in your attic? It's a dress burning stove. So the stepsister throws the dress into the furnace and it immediately just blows up. Yeah, it was made out of some very flammable materials. Was it covered in gasoline? Like dresses should not go up that quickly. Cinderella should not have been comfortable wearing a dress that would have burned her to a crisp if she got too close to an oven. Or a candle. Or a candle. Or if someone had really hot breath and breathed on her. Yeah, basically. Cinderella saves the tattered remains of the dress from the furnace and hugs it to her, thus covering herself in cinders, thus causing her stepsisters to declare that she is Cinderella. We are rescued from having to discuss the origins of her name any further, by Gus Gus. Hi, Gus. You were super awesome in your, like, two scenes you got before you get axe murdered in season two. Yes, Gus the mouse in his cute little shirt and hat shows up. Uh, side note, Gus is a mouse. Hmm. Right? Yes. He is a mouse who is sentient? He is a mouse with man intelligence. Who Cinderella befriends and makes clothes for. Hmm. And when the curse hits... He is turned into a man. We talked about this a little bit in season two, but I think this does establish a pattern. Dr. Hopper and Gus are both animals who had human-level intelligence. But Dr. Hopper was originally a man who was cursed to be a cricket. Yes. But the important thing is they're both animals with human-level intelligence, so when they got to Storybrooke, they both became people. Whereas... In theory, Pongo was just a regular dog, and that's why he stayed a dog when he got to to uh, Storybrooke and didn't become a human person. Okay. So, Gus Gus is continuing his streak, his very short-lived streak, because he has barely any screen time, but of being an awesome character by dropping a magical key into Cinderella's lap. Cinderella exposits to us, the audience, that her mother used to tell her about this key, and tell her that it would... Make any door a portal to a land of untold stories where basically your story is 
put in cold storage. Thank you, Grimm's Brothers, for coming up with fairy tales, because apparently this is just the sort of thing your mother would tell you for fun as a kid. I mean, there's not even a story there. Apparently her mother was just telling her about keys that would turn into... Okay, but it wasn't a fairy tale. It was true. Was her mother trying to impart useful information to her? Like, Yeah, her mother was like, here, that's what this key is. Don't use keys you don't recognize because they might trap you in the land of untold stories. Yes, exactly. I'm surprised that's what you're hung up on and not the fact that Cinderella says, there's no such thing as magic to a sentient mouse. Literally, you live in a... You're... You live right next door to the Enchanted Forest. Back in the present, Emma goes bursting in on Dr. Hopper's session because she thinks he's going to help her with her pre-TSD. Dr. Hopper's session with Grumpy, who's pissed because their session isn't even a little over yet. It's still going. And he's upset because he wants to talk about how jealous he is of Dopey who ran off to get his master's degree. And Emma's like, wait, I thought Dopey was a tree, which was her fault I guess she had no follow-up to this, but... Grumpy's like, yeah, we're the dwarves. Unlike everyone else in this town, we don't sit on our ass waiting for you to fix things. We already made him not be a tree anymore. Which is a point that should be more important to Emma right now and should be more plot significant because he says, Things in this town happen without you. We are capable of taking care of our own problems. I think that's meant to remind us how rare this is. That for the most part, Emma does have to take care of everyone's problems. It's just that the dwarves are so cool that they do not rely on her. And why isn't this show all about the dwarves? Seriously. I mean, again, the small bits we get with these characters show that they are, you know, competent and would be fun to follow. The dwarves, you mean? Yes. You know who's not competent and fun to follow? Dr. Hopper. He just kicks Grumpy out. He's like, sorry, Grumpy, a more interesting patient showed up. Off you go. Yeah, he was midsection with Grumpy. Grumpy points that out as he's being ushered out the door by Dr. Hopper. Emma tells Dr. Hopper about how, you know, she's all shaky and can't do magic and shit. And he's like, oh, I get that because I get hives sometimes. And she's like, that's what? What? Although, to be fair, what he's saying is mental blocks can have physical ramifications, which is true. That's what's going on. She does this thing where she paces behind his couch and then is just so exhausted with everything that's happening that she flops down over the back of his couch so that she's lying on it. It's very dramatic. It's what I do every time I go into my shrink's office. Dr. Hopper is not the person she should be talking to, right? I agree, but you know what I don't know? Who could help her? Honest to God, I know she doesn't want to talk to her about this because issues, but... I feel like Regina might be the best person to talk to. You know, I think you're right. I think Regina would have the best advice in this situation. Because despite what Dr. Hopper's saying, this isn't so much psychological as it is mystical. That's true. There are psychological elements to it, but... Right. It's mostly a magical problem. I do like what he tells her next, though. She talks about how she can't commit to Hook because... She knows she's going to die. And Dr. Hopper points out to her that the future is not promised to anyone. So stop being such a baby. Yeah. You could get hit by a bus. I could shoot you right now, Emma. And no one would know. Dark. Really dark. She talks about how Hook's really desperate to move in with her. We didn't mention it earlier, but he was literally complaining to Cinderella about that when Cinderella sat down. How he's in love with Emma and she seems to be in love with him, but he's stuck sleeping on a boat with Belle. So... I want to 
point out something I didn't notice in any of my previous viewings of this episode. Sure. But when Emma leaves Dr. Hopper's office, we see that his office is above the bridal shop. Remember the scene in the last season finale where you pointed out that Emma and Hook were having their dramatic conversation in front of the bridal shop, thus foreshadowing their future? Mm -hmm. But in fact, they were also having that conversation in front of Dr. Hopper's office, thus foreshadowing all of the issues. So... Emma leaves uh, Dr. Hopper's office, and I have my two MVP extras of this episode, which are the weird witch women who are just kind of wandering around in cloaks outside of a bakery that's next door to Dr. Hopper's. I don't want to call them witch women. I feel like they are goth girls cosplaying two of the three fates. It's just, if you have an outfit that involves a hood, a half cloak, and cleavage, I kind of lean towards you probably being a witch. Oh, it's just that they're both so young. They're like teenagers. I, I'm with you. Definitely MVP extras. So Emma gets like three steps out of Dr. Hopper's office when she essentially gets hit by a bus, a plot bus. The plot bus is Cinderella's prince. What's his name? Uh, Not Prince Charming. Yeah. Not Charming comes running over to tell Emma that Cinderella is gone. She went running off when she found out that one of the people who came over from the Land of Untold Stories was her wicked stepsister, Chlamydia. I mean, Clorinda. Clorinda. This is like the 10 millionth nail in Once Upon a Time in Wonderland's coffin. Because one of the main antagonists of Once Upon a Time in Wonderland is an evil stepsister, and it's definitely not either one of the ones we see in this episode. Oh. Well, I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean it's not real. Remember, a season from now, Cinderella is going to become a main character played by a completely different actress. Mm. True. And they're just going to claim it's an alternate universe, Cinderella. So is the Will Scarlet in, Wonder- in the Wonderland spinoff an alternate Will Scarlet? Maybe. Hmm. Whatever happened to Will Scarlet? Literally, I do not remember if we ever find out what happened to Will Scarlet. Yeah, I think he just straight up doesn't show up again. He got Chuck Cunningham'd. Oof, God, he did. So, in the woods, Dr. Jekyll is trying to come up with a way to get rid of the evil queen using science! But even though it looks like he has a pretty nice science set up here in the woods next to the downed rigid airship, he... Feels like he needs more of his lab stuff. So he's just going to give up because this forest lab is not working for him. Regina and Mary Margaret, who are wearing thematically appropriate white and black shirts. Jackets. Jackets. White and black jackets. By the way, Mary Margaret looks like she's cosplaying as someone from Miami Vice here. She is wearing a teal shirt underneath a white suit coat. It's true. A white suit coat with rolled up sleeves. I thought she was trying to give off a Virgin Mary vibe, but yeah, (laughs) Miami Vice. I'm there. So Regina's sort of on another round of giving up because she goes through this every so often. Yes, she feels helpless because she can never outthink the evil queen, what with them having the same brain, and she can't outcunning the evil queen, what with the evil queen having all of the evil. So Snow runs to David and she's like, you know what? I'm really sick of this fairy tale bullshit. I'm hopping on the Emma train. I'm sick of this garbage. Let's just not deal with this anymore. 
She says she wants to have a normal life. And David reminds her that they've never had a normal life. And then she waxes nostalgic about the 28 years of the curse when she had a normal life. And, you know, David was in a coma? Yeah, so best of both worlds. Okay, this is her thing for the next couple of episodes, how she just wants to have a normal life. So she's trying to make the town get back to normal. And that's going to take the form of her trying to set up the school again. So is is there just not a school now? I mean... There's not a school now, but you know what? Mary Margaret is bringing this weird post-war 1950s suburbia idea of what normal has to be into Storybrooke. And I know that's kind of what Storybrooke is modeled after, but that's not where she's from, and that's not what people need. Like, why is she trying to make everyone live in some sort of Donna Reed story? See, that would have been a good way to make her the next big bad of the show, to have her try to Pleasantville it. That would have been amazing! What's odd about this is that it's kind of backtracking something she tried to establish... God, it could have been forever ago. I think it was last season where she was talking about how she was sick of being Mary Margaret because Mary Margaret was an, you know, ineffectual lump who just whined all the time, how she needed to become Snow White again. And now she's walking that back here. Yeah, I think she's realizing or not realizing, but I think the problem, the problem is Mary Margaret, Snow White, whatever you're going by right now, the terribleness is coming from inside the house. Honestly, I have less problem with this than you do, because it really seems like she's just saying, look, we don't seem to positively affect the plot anymore. Maybe it's time for us to just back off. Okay, I mean, when you put it in that kind of abstract terms, I'm definitely okay with that. It's just her idea of what would make the town better is such a... It's not really reflective of the reality they're dealing with either. Exactly. Also to go way back to earlier in this episode, is Dopey not in Storybrooke anymore? Nope, he left Storybrooke to go get his PhD and bang co-eds. By the way, I'm not making that up. We we didn't mention that back in that scene, but Grumpy is angry that he's getting his master's and banging co-eds. We, we can assume that Dopey already has a PhD. We've seen the descendants. We know about Doug. Yes. Please, please support our Patreon so that we can hit our stretch goal and do our Descendants podcast so that I can introduce my dopey Snow White Doug conspiracy theory. I mean, I guess that's kind of it, but I have so much more to talk about. Snow was super into Dopey's PhD. That is so vulgar. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is. So anyway, Hook and Henry are play sword fighting because we are back in season two. Right? Except now it's Hook teaching him how to sword fight instead of David because, as previously mentioned, David is useless. Mm. And Hook has managed to actually win some fights with named characters. David really only wins fights against henchmen. Yeah, yeah. David can only defeat people who are uh, under fives. Emma shows up and she is going to track down Cinderella. And she has done this by using her magical powers to magically grab one of Cinderella's shoes. And she remembered that locator spells exist. Aren't you excited? You hate it when people forget about locator spells. And she even, she makes a Cinderella joke. She's like, how do you find Cinderella? With a shoe. Honestly, she could have 
magicked any of Ashley's items to her. She specifically made it a blue converse because she's like a fairy from White Wolf's Changeling. Her spells work better when they're thematic. Mm. Uh, So we cut from Emma using the locator spell to Ashley in her not very good Cinderella dress, although it looks kind of different than her not very good Cinderella dress she had before. I think it's fine. It's a fine dress. She is rocking some serious prom hair. Yeah, no kidding. All up and curly. She also has Gus escorting her, Gus in his human form. And man, I am so bummed all over again that they killed him so early on. He's so charming. He immediately ditches her for cheese. Um, yeah, for a waiter who walks by with a plate of cheese. A plate, by the way, of just whole cheese rounds. That's not how you serve food at a party. You need to have those things diced up. Yeah, that's how they do it in the Enchanted Forest. You just cram an entire wheel of cheese into your mouth. Like, if it's meant to be spread on some sort of bread product, that makes sense. But you can't grab that from a waiter who's walking by with it on a plate. So Cinderella, distracted watching her mouse friend run off after the cheese, crashes into a scullery maid? I know, I know. It's it's not. It's, it's Snow White. And... Who did Jennifer Goodwin piss off? Well, first off, she's not wearing the Snow White wig. I mean, it it looked so awful in the last episode. I... Like, I think it's supposed to look like maybe she has all that hair pinned up, but that's a lot of hair and... Yeah, and it's not the, like, ridiculous square hairdo she had at her wedding either. I don't really understand what's happening here. And she's wearing this, like, weird beige... It looks like, I don't know, like if you were forced to wear a formal dress by a sanatorium, maybe? Yeah, it's a, it's like a brownish beige and it's got a really unflattering corset. I, like I said, I don't know who she pissed off. Yeah, this is just, this is an actively bad look. This is a look that is actively not trying to make Jennifer Goodwin look good. I thought she got over whatever was going on with her in the department. Apparently someone is still mad at her. So the two of them bond over the fact that the prince has a really obvious across-the-room boner for Cinderella. Yes, and Cinderella mentions that she is not a princess, she's just an ordinary girl playing dress-up. But Snow tells her that she can tell that she's not like other girls. She has, I don't know, royalty of spirit or something. This whole scene is not like other girls, the scene. Oh, yeah. She also tells Cinderella, not that anyone asked, that she, Snow, is not like other princesses. And she also says that not all princes are terrible. Which, just dropping in here, she's not married to a prince, she's married to a shepherd. Anyway, Cinderella says maybe this prince is charming, And Snow is like, no, bitch, I trademarked that. Okay, and then David shows up and spins Snow off. David, who's wearing a weird evil uniform. It's it's like this weird sparkly black tunic, maybe kind of navy. I think it's blue. It's just not well lit when he spins in. I think you just think it looks evil because it's cut like a Hugo Boss suit. Mm. And so it kind of has a nazi quality to it a fascist look but i think it's just supposed to be a royal looking outfit i do want to say since you mentioned that he spins snow white off that while this scene is happening 
we're getting lots of crane shots of the ball itself, and I'm really into the choreography of this scene. Whoever choreographed all the background extras, the dancing reel, I'm I'm into it. I'm here for it. So, yeah, Snow makes your dumb little joke about how the charming moniker is already taken and David Spencer up. It's, it's so weird because it's like he's got leather sleeves. You're right. The undershirt a- is leather. And that's that definitely adds to the I am an evil prince look. So Cinderella goes over to her prince, who I keep on thinking his name's Sean, but... I think Sean is his curse name. Yeah, maybe. I'm almost Whatever. certain that's right. You know what? I'm just calling him Sean. He's not a character. It doesn't matter. But he immediately finds her shoes super attractive. And he's like, so, where'd you get those shoes? I have a thing for feet, so, you know. Right. Face-blind foot fetishist, right? Yeah. I know that's, like, the one joke everyone makes about Cinderella, but it's true. Although this episode will address it. We'll get to that. So... Uh, he asked her her name and she's like, oh, why don't, why don't we keep the mystery a mystery? And he's like, oh, I I like, you're a girl who's different from other girls. I like a girl who's a mystery. Yeah, right? Ugh. So, uh, the prince goes off to attend to some business. And that business appears to be Cinderella's stepsister, Chlamydia, in a gorgeous dress i am in love with her dress it is by far the best dress in this episode oh it is royal blue with gold detailing and i am just so into it so lady tremaine comes up to her and she's like hey cinderella see that that's my daughter getting balls deep into your prince actually she's receiving a rose from the prince like some sort of fairy tale bachelor oh my god is the, is the bachelor the bachelor's supposed to uh, imitate fairy tale aesthetics, right? I've yes. never super seen the bachelor. Okay, I haven't seen the bachelor either, but I have read many, many television without pity recaps of it. Oh, television without pity! I miss that site still. You know, according to the Good Place podcast, the number one podcast in the bad place is Stalin recapping the Bachelor, and I don't know. Maybe I have bad place taste. I'd listen. Yeah, I'd listen to that. So Lady Tremaine tells Cinderella that the prince is going to go off with the stepsister in the hot dress, not her in her party city dress. And everyone is laughing at her and she just doesn't know it. So Cinderella is humiliated and runs off, leaving her shoe behind, which I think was a nice way of them working in the Cinderella running off and leaving her shoe behind thing considering that there's no midnight deadline there's no midnight deadline we know from the season one episode yeah so speaking of cinderella's fairy godmother rumple is playing chess with himself in his shop i mean maybe he's playing chess with himself or maybe he's playing correspondence chess with someone the chess set has a particular gimmick i like where uh the pieces instead of being red and black They're clear glass and frosted glass. Oh, it's a gorgeous chess set. I want it. Which I'm assuming Cinderella glass. Of course. Of course. I didn't even realize. So David comes harumphing into the room. Yes, he has the coin that he got last episode and he tells Rumple, look, we only have about five minutes of screen time this episode. So let's just cut to the part where we make a deal. Like, I want to know what happened to my dad. And I want to know where you got this coin, so why don't you tell me about the coin? 
So Rumple pulls out his little note card about the coin and will give it to David. But of course, there is a price. Yeah, and David has not been playing this coolly at all. So he doesn't exactly have a lot of... Uh... Negotiating power? No, he does not. But before Rumple can tell him what he's going to have to do for that information, we cut to the past where Cinderella is looking at her one glass slipper. The super adorable CGI mouse comes back and he opens the chest. She very rudely put the magic key he gave her. Yeah, so she takes the key and she's like, oh, this is the answer to all my problems. But I don't really understand how this is the answer to her problems. Like, she's sad, so her answer is going to be to pause everything. That doesn't seem... I don't... What? She's sad, so she's going to go to another dimension. And be sad there? Chlamydia shows up and is like, wait, no, you dumb bitch. The prince loves you. He was giving me the flower on behalf of his footman, who I love. Yeah, see, you know that my mom's like the biggest asshole in the universe. So she wouldn't be cool with me marrying a footman. So the prince is helping me and this dude bang it out in secret. And now we're going to go bang it out in secret forever somewhere. And Cinderella's like, wait, you're in love with the footman? But you told him he was a filthy, filthy boy. And she's like, Cinderella, sometimes people don't tell the truth. I do like this. I always like Cinderella stories where one or both of the Wicked Stepsisters is actually a decent human being. And we address the fact that abusive parents will often do a thing where one child is scapegoated and one child is elevated. And, you know... The story is acknowledging that both of those are forms of abuse, Mm. and they see things differently, but it fucks up both kids. So in the present, in the present, Ashley is just marching out to the docks with a shotgun when she sees a shoe following her. And Emma's like, I know you probably want to shoot your stepsister, but don't. And it's one of those scenes where everything could be very clearly explained and we could all move on. But instead, Ashley's like, you have to let me do this on my own. You have it wrong. Don't worry. And then takes off. And I, I do. I, I'm just giving her the traditional welcome to Storybrooke shotgun. <laughs> it's kind of funny because Ashley's like, you don't understand. I have to do this. And Hook shouts, Emma, stop her using your magic. Okay. That is such a terrible clunker line, and that is what he shouts. But she can't because she her hand is all shaking from visions. And Cinderella's like, I can just leave. Like, Yeah, Cinderella just books it out of there while Hook comforts Emma because of her magical failure there. Like, you could still chase after her. She has a shotgun. Yeah. I mean, maybe don't chase after people who are wielding shotguns. Does she even know how to use that? She racks it. Hmm. What's Cinderella been up to? Right. So at Zelina's farmhouse, Regina shows up looking for the evil queen. And Zelina is just like eating handfuls of cherries for some reason. Uh, No clue. Is it symbolism? I don't think so. But Regina shows up demanding to know if the evil queen was there. Then she sees the rattle that the evil queen gave Zelina at the end of last episode and realizes that she must have been here and tells Zelina that she needs to get rid of the rattle because it was given to her by an evil witch queen. And Zelina's like, uh, maybe stop judging so much. Like, 
We're, we're all evil witch queens here. Come on. Also, Zelina's like, maybe I don't need to take advice from someone who was so unable to control herself that she ripped herself in half, which... Accidental good point. <laughs> right? I'm rarely gonna think good point, but good point, Zelina. So, on the docks, uh, Emma, Hook, and Henry are suddenly approached by the evil queen. Wearing the an amazing outfit! I'm in love with the outfit she's wearing. It's pretty great. I don't love her hair with it, but... Oh, I do love her hair. She has her hair swept to the side, cascading over one shoulder. She's wearing a satin overcoat with a black studded collar. I am so into it. See, I love the outfit, and I like the hair. It's just I don't think the two of them work great together. Well, I mean, it's evil queen hair that's not the high ponytail, which I hate. So, you know. So Henry's like, stay away from my mom. And the evil queen is like, I am your mom. Right. I mean, she was only ripped apart from Regina a couple of weeks ago. So everything that Regina is, she is as well. She tells Henry to stop slouching. And he does. He stands up straighter. Because Emma's like, I won't let her hurt you. He's my son. And the evil queen says, no, he's my son. I, the evil queen... And the person who raised him. Which is true. I was there through the nightmares. I was there to take him to school to make sure he did his chores. I was there for all of that. I trapped him in a world where no one except for him aged and gaslit him about it. Not so much that. But I mean, that is what happened. Regina was more the evil queen than Regina when she was raising Henry. She's like, and you know what raising a child taught me? Patience. Patience to let stories play out. And we're going to watch Cinderella's story play out. And you're going to realize how pointless you really are. Yeah, because Emma is the savior. And as we have said before, the savior has to win every time. The savior can only lose once. And then it's all lost. She says, you bring happy endings, but happy endings don't necessarily last. And all of your work can really easily be undone. Cinderella was the first person that Emma saved when she came to town in season one. So the fact that her story is still going to have an unhappy ending pretty much repudiates everything that Emma is. This kind of reminds me of there's a bit in Late Charmed where a demon starts killing early innocents that the Charmed One saved. Yeah. Mr. Incredible said it himself, like... You don't stay saved. Ugh. The evil queen says she's going to take them off the chessboard and then uses her magic to teleport them away and then spins around and laughs with glee, even though there is no one around to see it. She's just so full of joy. What makes it even better is that Cinderella's shoe falls onto the ground, the one the tracking spell was on, as she teleports them away. So she's laughing and spinning around the shoe. You know, the evil queen really has a joie de vivre that Regina lacks. So she just, she teleported the three of them just to the woods. Yeah, just just far away. Like, Emma, you can teleport. Ugh, don't even. So, back in the boat, Belle is reading what to expect when you're expecting. What to expect when you're expecting to birth the Dark One's spawn. It's the old school one where the woman on the cover is not wearing pants. Yes. I don't think it makes a difference, but... No. So, David comes in and he's like, 
I've got a message for Mr. Gold, and Bell's like, dude, really? Really, dude, really? The message is on a cassette tape, by the way. Okay. David tells her, I needed information from your husband, and she's like, God, he's the worst. But she does take the tape and, and tells David that his price has been paid or whatever. Which causes David to go off like a geyser about how his dad died in a drunken cart accident. Cart accident. And now he thinks that maybe that's not how his father died, and so he wants... But the important part of this conversation is David saying that, you know, his dad was a really shitty dad, and then he died. And Belle asks which was worse, having a shitty dad or having no dad? And David tells her that having a shitty dad was better, which is terrible because now he has planted the seed in Belle's head that it would be better for her son to have the shitty dad of Rumpelstiltskin than no dad. Oh, wow, that flew right over my- that- wow, good catch. It's- it's not great, though, because- Yeah. Also, maybe you should focus more on being a not-so-shitty dad to your own kid. <laughs> right? Maybe- oh. So, Emma's just sitting on the middle of the street moping about how there's nothing she can do to save her first rescue- Right, because her magic is all glitchy, and... Oh, that would be why she can't teleport. Oh, right. And her son and boyfriend remind her that she used to track people down with no magic, so maybe do that again? So, Hook does something strange here, where he, he reminds her, he says, You can track people without magic, though. You used to be a bail bonds person. Woman. Which is, I mean, people have been saying Bail Bonds person for the whole show. It seems, why would you go back on that now? You want to hear my theory? Yes. My theory is that the script said you used to be a Bail Bondsman woman, and he messed it up when he said the line, and they just rolled with it. That's my theory. So she's like, okay, all I have to do is think about what a person's motivations are, what they're running towards, you know, like like they were a character in a story. Yeah, what's their story? If only I had some way to know Ashley's story. And then Hook and Emma try to remember what the steps what the stepsister's name is and they're like Clorinda, Claridia, Chlamydia. Henry is so annoyed. He's like it's Clorinda, okay? It's Clorinda. Which I get, I hate when people, I, I know they're not making a joke out of it, but I hate when people mispronounce names on purpose and it sort of feels like that. We've literally been doing that this whole episode. No, we've been giving her a completely different name on purpose. Okay. I know it's splitting hairs, but... Okay. As long as, as long as you acknowledge that it's a very small distinction. So Henry opens the book and speaking of season one... We do the looking at an illustration and then using that to flash back into the story. Yeah. So, back in the flashback, uh, back in Cinderella's Cinderella time, Cinderella's confronting Lady Tremaine, which just seems like such a bad idea. Well, she tells her that she can ignore her daughter marrying a footman because she's going to marry the prince. And presumably... That means that the whole family will benefit, including her terrible, wicked steps. And Lady Tremaine says, he's not going to recognize you. Cinderella says, why? He's not some sort of face-blind foot fetishist. And Lady Tremaine says, no, he's not going to officially recognize you 
as a viable bride. I mean, her dad was landed gentry, right? I mean... It always annoys me in Cinderella's stories when they act like she's beneath the prince. She is of equal station. Well, not of equal, but they're on the same level. Oh, not to the prince, to her sisters. Yeah. To her sisters! She is of equal station to her sisters! So, Lady Tremaine smashes the glass shoe, and Cinderella's like, whatever. She does the abuser thing, where she convinces Cinderella that she can only be with the prince if she can somehow prove that she's the girl he told everyone he's looking for. And if she doesn't have outside proof of that, he's going to pretend it's not her when he realizes that she's a serving girl. So by smashing the shoe, now she has no leverage. Although, I mean, I'm not on Lady Tremaine's side, but I can see her, you know, being like, hey, maybe that girl that we've been super abusive to won't put us in a good position when she gets power. Oh, oh, absolutely. I just wanted to point out that what she tells Cinderella is ridiculous. It's only because Cinderella has been so abused by her that she's willing to believe it. So Cinderella in current times finds Chlamydia injured in a barn because guess who else came with her? Yeah, okay, so Chlamydia is lying in this pumpkin barn? A barn full of pumpkins? Peter Peter Pumpkin Eater is going to be super pissed when he throws one of his infamous orgies and all this drama's come down. Whoa, back up. Peter Peter Pumpkin Eater is Jacob. Yes, it's a pumpkin farm, right? Yeah. He had a wife but couldn't keep her. (gasps) Oh my god, it's a mashup. We're finally getting another fairy tale mashup. Wow. There you go. Anyway, Chlamydia's got a bloody bandage on her leg and is like, oh, I'm so injured. And Ashley puts the shotgun down right next to the door like an idiot and runs to help her. And she's like, ha, just kidding, I'm not injured, but I hate you. And now my mother's going to kill you with the shotgun that you left by the door, you idiot. How would Lady Tremaine know how to use a shotgun? She was in the Land of Untold Stories, so... Oh, yeah, presumably people had that sort of technology there. Exactly. So, speaking of... We go back to the flashback where Chlamydia and the footmen are going to run away together. And Not Charming and Snow are looking for Cinderella. Snow has tracked her to this house where she is locked up. And they knock on the door and when she doesn't answer, they're like, Oh, looks like Snow's tracking is for shit. Let's go look somewhere that's not here. But luckily, Gus Gus is like the best friend ever. It's like... All, since he's the only mouse in the story now, he's become as competent as all of the other mice combined. Yeah, that's about right. He squeezes out under the crack in the door and gets Snow's attention and shows her where the keys are so that Snow can open the door where Cinderella is. And they burst in and and Cinderella is so sad because the shoe has been shattered so now she has no way to prove who she is to the prince. And he's like, I'm... I'm not a face-blind foot fetishist, so how about we go get married? Yeah. Yeah, that's... I mean, I mean, we can talk about wanting to get married after dancing with someone for, like, three minutes, but, you know... That may have been talked to death at this point. Yes, I think I think that point has been thoroughly covered. So, Cinderella is going by Ella here. Yeah, that's her name. 
Was that what we saw her going by in season one? I think she was going by Cinderella in season one. Maybe she owned it like the Spice Girls. Hmm. Wait, were people making fun of the Spice Girls using those particular... Yeah, and then they just... Yeah, people were making fun of the Spice Girls calling them those names, and then they just took them on as their own. Hmm. So Prince Sean is going to marry Cinderella, and he's going to wake up the royal glass blower so he can make her new shoes. That poor glass blower. First of all... What kind of glass blowing needs does the prince have that he keeps a glass blower on retainer? And now he's going to get woken up in the middle of the night. Like, we need shoes right now. And the glass blower is going to be like, they told me that royals have weird fetishes when I took the job, but there was so much money I couldn't turn it down. He's probably just happy that he found employment as a glass blower. Like, really solid, steady employment. Good point, good point. But before Cinderella goes off and gets married, she has to fix her giant mistake with her stepsister. Oh yeah, she told Lady Tremaine. You see, as Lady Tremaine was about to smash her shoe, she gave up her sister and Jacob and told her where they were. So Lady Tremaine bopped Jacob over the head and she's like, yeah, you're not doing that. That's not going down. Yep, she gets ready to stab him with her walking stick, which I guess is also a sword. And Chlamydia's like, no, you'll kill him! And Lady Tremaine's like, yes, that's what swords are for. You are correct! I mean, Lady Tremaine's being pretty stupid here, though, because murder's still illegal. Right? People are going to find out. Especially, this is the prince's footman. Yeah, this is just a bad plan all around. I do like that it's basically a mirror of what happened with Snow White and the Evil Queen, where Cinderella gave up her stepsister and the wicked stepmother showed up about to kill the fiancé. But this time, instead of her getting a chance to do that, Cinderella shows up and stops her. So Lady Tremaine uses the key to open up the door to the Land of Untold Stories And takes her daughter through there so that she can't marry Jacob, even though I don't know what else that accomplishes for her. I heard somewhere that Lady Tremaine is the worst Disney villain because she doesn't have supernatural powers. She doesn't have political powers. What she had was control over one person whose life she decided to ruin as thoroughly as possible. Oof, that doesn't sound like the worst villain to me. That sounds like a really dark interesting story but now that she's lost cinderella she needs someone new so she grabs her daughter and drags her off to the land of untold stories so she can't be with a footman when you put it that way it makes kind of twisted sense also there's a whole classist thing where she's like i i've scratched and bit and fucked old dudes who died on top of me to get to where i am and i'm not going to see my daughter throw it all away blah 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 this is basically cora's speech to the stable boy before killing him she also does kind of a mama rose thing where she's like when is it my turn to be the person who becomes a princess and she says i'm just gonna go through this door and put my life on pause till it's my turn so back in the main timeline chlamydia is about to blow cinderella away because she's like i lost my chance at a happy ending now jacob's gone and cinderella's like He's here. What the fuck are you talking about? Cinderella's like, I figured you knew he was here since you're in his barn. Jesus fucking Christ. This doesn't really speak well to Jacob that somehow Lady Tremaine managed to tie him up and beat him up off screen. Well, she was getting help from the Evil Queen, so maybe the Evil Queen also helped with that part. Yes. 
Oh, by the way, the evil queen told Lady Tremaine a bunch of information to help accelerate this whole unhappy ending thing. Lady Tremaine takes the shotgun and goes to shoot Jacob, and then Chlamydia tries to stop her. And then Cinderella decides to get in on it, and is like, no, don't! And then she steps in front of the shotgun, and Lady Tremaine's like, I will shoot all three of you. I don't know who you think I am. My motivations aren't super clear, but... What from what I've established, why would you think I have any issues with murdering any of you except I guess maybe chlamydia? But then she's like, you know what though? I do want to use my signature murder weapon. So she picks up her walking cane that's also a sword and fucking stabs Ashley in the gut. She doesn't finish the job though. She just kind of stands there as Emma and Hook rush over and Hook takes her down pretty quickly. Hook's like, "Yeah, you're like well, she's 50, but... Yeah, Hook, Hook takes her down pretty fast. He's like, you're a you're a noble woman and I'm a pirate, so I'm better at hand-to-hand combat than you are. Emma's trying to heal Cinderella, but she's got a bad case of the handshakies. And Henry's like, I believe in you. And I'm basically omnipotent. And that fixes it and she's able to use her magic to heal Ashley. And... I think this might be the first time we see good magic being used to heal someone. Seriously, it's true. Yeah, usually it's evil characters who are healing people for whatever reason. So Cinderella apologizes to Chlamydia and Chlamydia's like, like, you got stabbed for me, so I guess I can be cool about this. Yeah, we're even now. And everybody is happy, except of course Lady Tremaine, who's going off to prison. So... We cut from everyone hugging and celebrating the fact that only one person got stabbed and they're fine now to Mary, Margaret, and Regina have brought Dr. Jekyll to Dr. Whale so that they can science team up together because Dr. Whale has a pretty awesome setup with a refrigerator full of body parts. It's amazing. I mean, he shows up, but let's be clear. David Anders is no longer Dr. Whale. He is 100% Blaine now. Seriously. I, he's not even playing it like he was Frankenstein. He's just Blaine for my zombie, which I'm fine with because I love Blaine for my zombie. So they're going to work together and Mary Margaret's like, you know, wouldn't they make great high school science teachers? And Regina, no. Yeah, Regina's like, no, that's stupid. What the fuck are you talking about? And Mary Margaret's like, don't worry, I will drop this plot in a couple of episodes. Just like David's plot. Yeah. Like, I'm only here to stay in the main credits. Like, Ugh. We go from that to Lady Tremaine in an orange prison jumpsuit picking up trash. On the side of the highway. Is it a smart idea to give her a stabbing instrument given what literally just went down? Well, Grumpy's overseeing her. Oh yeah, like she can't stab Grumpy. I feel like Grumpy can hold his own. So Emma decides that now that she has her pre-TSD temporarily under control... It's a sign from the universe that she should let Hook move in with her, so... I think seeing Ashley being willing to give up her life for someone else's love made her feel really shitty about not being willing to commit to Hook. So she tells Hook that she's ready for him to move in, and so Hook is ready to move in with her. Yay, I guess. Yeah, the two of them kind of make out. Back at David and Mary Margaret's, David tells... Snow White about the whole deal with the coin and it looks like his dad was probably actually murdered and Snow White's like great so he didn't die in a drunken accident that's good and David's like well but somebody murdered him and Snow's like just let it go seriously like at this point who the fuck cares 
like, let it go, David. Let's just be people. You know what? Let's, you know, no more giants, no more wolves. Why no- don't we just be here for our children? Emma and, you know, the other one. The other one. The Got- boy one. Uh, gosh. I want to say Blorp. Is that right? Blorp. <laughs> Nate. Plop. David says she's right and he's going to burn the note card so that he's not even tempted to think about it. And then he totally doesn't. Yeah, she just, she's like, okay, no need to see this through. Well, I mean, if your husband tells you he's going to do something, you shouldn't have to follow through. You should assume he's going to do it. It's weird that she gets up for no reason, though. Like, they were in the middle of a conversation. Eh, she's got other shit to do. But yeah, she's on a whole, I want a normal life kick now. Down in the Jolly Roger, Belle is listening to the cassette tape that Rumpel sent her. And it's a it's him reading a creepy nursery rhyme to his unborn son, so. I mean, it's kind of a song. He's he's pulling a Ross where he doesn't want uh, Belle's lesbian lover to get all the belly time with the baby. Right, yeah, no, I get that. I, it's still an eerie nursery rhyme. It really is. And down in the asylum... Down in the asylum, the evil queen's like, God damn it, I'm so close. And Hyde's like, you know, I want to help you out, but there's only so much I can do from, you know, this cell. And so the evil queen just uses magic to magic his cuffs away. And as we said, his facial expressions are the best. He just has this adorable, surprised expression at how easy it was to, for her to take the cuffs off. And then the two of them just casually saunter out of the asylum. I love that she could have teleported him out, but decides to just walk out like she owns the fucking place. They're just going out arm in arm. I'm kind of disappointed this doesn't end up really going anywhere. Yeah, me too. They make a cute couple. They really do. And that's it for this episode. Not super big for plot advancement, but I enjoyed it, and I think this proved that the show really could use more one-off episodes. Absolutely. I like the Cinderella stuff. It's when we had to wrap up all of these random loose threads at the end that I started to feel like it was dragging. Yeah, I mean, you really could have done this without the Evil Queen interfering or, you know, any of David's subplot. Which I do, I do love that they basically just drop the subplot. Yeah, you could have cut David's subplot altogether, and you could have dealt with the evil queen stuff next week for the episode "The Strange Case." Uh, yes. So let's talk about fashion. All right. So this was a good episode for fashion. We, yes, we already touched on it, but Clorinda's dress, gorgeous. Evil queen's outfit, amazing. It was also a bad episode for fashion, such as. Basically everything Jennifer Goodwin was wearing this episode. Why did they do that to her? Why did they make her dress like she's in Miami Vice and then was going to sanatorium prom? You know what? I'm not going to top those descriptions. That's just exactly what it was. So I guess that'll about do it for this episode. I think we're done for this week. Our show is partially listener supported. If you would like to be one of our supporters, you can go to our website, www.ilovetelevisionzines.com, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, and Ryan. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can always rate and review us on iTunes. It's a great way to help other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash I love television zines. Uh, we can also be contacted at I love TV zines on Twitter 
or at ilovetelevisionzines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrooke. What's that look on your face? You're horrified. You think I'm a monster for doing your dirty work. You think love is stainless and pure, but beneath all the fantasy, there's filth and there's gore.